Hey, turn your Bibles this morning, Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to continue a series we've been on really since Easter called Choices. It's very simple, but it's very profound. I mean, if you make the right choices, life is just better. But if you make the wrong choices, now that's the key there because oftentimes we don't know what's right and what's wrong. We live in a world that's very confused. You can be doing what everybody else is doing, and how many know that can lead you in a ditch? But yet the right choices, according to God's Word, will get us in a place to where favor falls on our life. Now, a little different message this morning. It's not a, a, a felt needs message per se, but rather it's a message about your Christian witness. It's about what the Bible will call your light shining in a dark world and the choice you make to let your light shine. Matthew 5.14, you know it. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The New Century Version says, you are the light that gives light to the world. And the picture there is the world is in darkness because of sin. They're alienated from God. But we who are believers, we who are followers of Christ or Christians, not only have the knowledge of God, which is light, but we have a lifestyle that we should live that shows people the way to go. How I many of the most powerful witness is not what you say, but it's what you do? Now, it's important to say, though, it's important to speak up, or what I'm going to call today, it's important to stand up for Christ, to make the choice to stand. When Jesus talked about this illustration or the metaphor of light, he said, listen, you don't light a lamp and put a basket over it. In other words, if you go in, your house is real dark, or maybe your room's real dark, what's the first thing you do? Now, turn the light on. Well, you don't immediately go over to the light switch or to the, to the lamp and put a blanket over it. That defeats the purpose of it. No, but light comes in the room. It shows you where things are. It shows you where to walk. It shows you what not to do. If there's a spider on the floor, it shows you where to step right on top of him. Somebody say amen. How many know light reveals darkness? Well, guess what Jesus is saying? You're to let your light shine in the world in the same way. So Jesus is saying to us, basically, you can either hide your light or you can show it brightly. Now, with that background, I want to talk about some things going on in our culture just a moment, and then we're going to go in the Old Testament and look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some great Christians that made a choice to stand for what was right. There was an article in the paper recently, and it's pretty much making the headlines. It says, Governor Perry invites governors to prayer meeting. Texas Governor Rick Perry has invited the nation's governors to join him in a prayer day to deal with the problems facing America. And you may say, oh, he's running for president. I wish my president would call our nation to prayer. I mean, we think sometimes like so much like the world, but it is the president's job not only to lead us in civil ways, but to be a humble, godly man, come on, yoked with spiritual leaders in leading the nation in a right path. Well, uh, he said, I believe it's time to convene the leaders from each of our United States in a day of prayer and fasting. Now, he's partnering with the American Family Association. If you've heard of them, in my opinion, they're one of the greatest Christian organizations in America, founded by a Methodist minister, Donald Wildman. They're out of Tupelo, Mississippi, and basically they help Christians to be aware of what's going on culturally and challenge them to stand for what's right. Tragically, though, not everybody agrees with what we stand for. The Southern Poverty Law Center basically said that they are an, listen to this, anti-gay hate group simply because they believe same-sex marriage is a sin or they believe that it's wrong. So the world that we live in will not agree with you every time you make a, a biblical stand. The article goes on to say the American Family Association on their website says we want the presence, power, and person of Christ to fill our nation and turn the hearts of millions to Him. Now wouldn't that be a better America? 
But predictably, the Secular Coalition for America issued a statement urging governors not to attend the event. The last thing our officials should do in times of national struggle is promote a divisive religious event that proposes no real solutions to our country's real-world problems. Sounds great. They need a history lesson. Benjamin Franklin. I wish someone would go back to the annals of history and tell them what is not being taught in public schools. At the Constitutional Convention, when America was trying to figure out who she was going to be, when we had no governing documents, and they had gathered and talked for a number of days, and nobody knew what to do. There were different factions, just like today. And finally, Ben Franklin stands up and addresses President George Washington, and he basically says these words. Listen, guys, and I'll summarize. God just took care of us from a great transition, wars and battles. How in the world can we go forwards if we forget our faithful friend? Why in the world shouldn't we be praying and seeking his face? And he led our nation's leaders to the place of prayer, and what came forth from that was the Constitution of the United States. How many know that is a good thing? Can I suggest to you, in that spirit, Governor Perry, uh, American Family Association, you and I as Christians all over this nation, standing for what's right. It is the right thing for the governor, the president, the mayor, the Supreme Court to call the nation to humble themselves and pray. It is a challenge to stand for what's right. Now, there's two different visions crystallizing for America. I heard a news commentator recently basically say that the 2012 election, which is about, what, 16, 17 months away, is going to determine the future of America in a tremendous way. We have all been a part of an America the last couple years that is becoming a larger, big government, uh, secular, uh, uh, limited personal freedoms, a socialist nation. Like the term or not, we're becoming that in America. We're losing individual liberty. We're losing our freedoms. And it's a choice that America is going to have to make. Am I going to go that way or are we going to go back to the way that America was founded? But bigger than that, and this is not a political message per se, this is a message that challenges me because there's something bigger than just, quote, the vision of America. Are we socialist? Are we more of a republic? The question for me is a spiritual question. Is America going to continue this purge of anything Christian in America? And you've got to know that we are not the America that we were 50 or 100 or 200 years ago. It's almost like you commit a criminal act as a Christian in America today. Teachers bring their Bibles to school and are summarily dismissed on campuses across America today. Uh, things are happening all around us where the Bible is not welcome, God is not welcome, certainly the name of Jesus is not welcome. It took a federal appeals court uh, to get together and basically say that it was okay for a kid to pray at a graduation ceremony in Texas not too many days ago. We live in a world today that these issues that the world calls political, I suggest to you are not political, they are religious and moral. When you talk about abortion, it is a moral issue. I am glad that some representative in the state of Texas had the courage to stand up so that, guess what, a bill was passed by your Texas legislature and affirmed by our governor that would require a sonogram before an abortion. Why is that? Because somebody wanted to stand up and say it's a child, it's not a blob of tissue, and someone needs to stand for those that cannot stand for themselves. That's a moral issue. It's a religious issue. If there is life valuable, it is not the mother's choice. God has already said that, listen, life is valuable. We're created in the image of God. When you talk about same-sex marriage, uh, that's not a political hot potato. That is a moral and biblical issue. 
when we're trying to decide right now, there is the United Nations is trying to push a, uh, some document minimizing the rights of parents over children, making them more wards of the state. That is not a government political issue. It is a moral issue about parents having the right to raise their children. What's taught in our schools? I mean, no, that shouldn't stem from Washington or somewhere. Listen, the community, the parents should be involved in what's being taught to our children. These are moral issues. These are biblical issues. Uh, the filth that's on our television. Listen, somebody needs to drink the chain of the FCC and say, listen, enough's enough. If I, if I want to watch filth, let me subscribe to the filth channel. I don't want to be embarrassed for my children during a commercial break. Well, these are all moral issues. They are religious issues. And what you will not hear in this now, this uh, representative uh, wiener that's being, you know, who knows what goes on in the world of politics. You've all heard about him, late night TV and jokes. I've not heard one commentator say he sinned against God. Come on, he sinned against his wife and he sinned against the people he's represented. See, the world doesn't think that way. So I'm speaking to you this morning about choosing to take a stand for what's right. And the question I'm going to ask you today is, do you have the courage to stand up for what's right, number one? And secondly, I will ask you, do you have the courage to stand for people that cannot stand for themselves? Who will stand for the woman suffering domestic violence? Who will stand for the woman that is afraid to go home yet has nowhere else to go that feels helpless and some man is beating her? Who will stand for that person? You say, well, we have domestic violence. Thank God for domestic violence, but sometimes we need more than domestic violence. See, who will stand for those that cannot stand for themselves? So again, this is a message to challenge you in your thinking, to ask you this question, what kind of Christian am I going to be? Am I going to be someone whose light is shining brightly? And I do not mean self-righteously. I do not mean arrogantly condemning other people. I mean humbly acting in love but having the courage to say this is right and this is wrong. And my question to you today, do you have that courage? Now we're going to go to the Bible together, the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to look at two guys, three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are Jewish slaves. They were driven from their homeland because of the sins of their nation and now they have been accepted in the government under Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan man and because they were teenagers they were schooled there but guess what they are believing Jews but they're serving in the pagan world of Nebuchadnezzar now I want you to see a real-life situation Nebuchadnezzar uh, Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 and we're gonna walk through these next 30 verses together and try to learn something King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. Now, at $1,500 an ounce, how many would like to owe just a little bit of that statue? I mean, I guess if you got its arm or its hand, you'd be, you'd be set for life. Gold statue, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Look at verse 4. A herald shouted, listen to the king's command. Now listen, when the statue's just out there and, and, and idolaters want to worship it, that's not a big deal. They can if they want to. You know, you don't have to go and tear the statue down. But when they push it in your face, when intimidation's happening, you've got to make a choice. A herald shouted, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Now look at verse 6. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown in the blazing furnace. Now, this is classic intimidation by someone in authority. But the issue this morning is, what will you do? 
What did they do when they were confronted? Now, you know your Old Testament teaches you one of the first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no, yeah, no other gods before me. You shall not worship an idol. Now, this was big in the mind of the Israelite in terms of the pagan world that they lived in. So it was clear what God's standards were. Now, now, when I'm talking to you about what you stand for, how many know sometimes people stand for stupid things? They're standing for crazy things that mean nothing in the grand scheme of life. But when the Bible is pretty clear about something that we are to take a stand on, that's what I'm talking about with you this morning. So here's the choice. There, there was tremendous pressure to conform or face severe consequences. Now, I don't know if, if this has befo- uh, something like this has, has, has come across your door, but it could well come across your door as an American. There was an Olympian, he was an Olympic winner, a gold medal winner, Peter Vidmar, the chief, and, and he recently applied for the position of chief of mission for the upcoming Olympic Games in London. Well, guess what? It was found out after he'd accepted the job, he had donated $2,000 to protect the sanctity of marriage in the state of California. You remember Prop 8, same-sex marriage? Well, he donated $2,000, and when it was found out that he had donated to protect marriage between a man and woman, he lost his job at the Olympics. I'm telling you, sometimes you're going to be confronted. There was a principal in Tennessee in this past, election, in this past uh, graduation cycle. He threatened to arrest any student who prayed at graduation. I have an iPhone. I like the iPhone app. We've got a church app on that, uh, on, on the Apple, uh, Apple phone. It's a great little deal. Well, the Manhattan Declaration, if you've ever heard of them, it's simply a document put together by a number of the traditional conservative Christian leaders in America, basically just listing Christian beliefs that are trying to bring people together. You ought to Google it, Manhattan Declaration. They had an iPhone app, but someone decided that they were offended because they were standing for certain things as Christians, and guess what? Apple canceled their iPhone app. Now, that may not be the same thing to you as the fiery furnace, but I want to tell you, you could face consequences if you choose to stand for what's right. Imagine you're a pharmacist, and during the health care debate, it was a little more of a question about whether their religious freedom, the freedom of conscience, would be protected. Imagine, though, if you're a pharmacist in a new, more socialist America, and you are demanded by your employer to either dispense RU486 the morning after pill, or you lose your job. My question to you is, what do you do? Now, I'm not telling you where these matters of conscience are. I'm not telling you what issues you need to stand your ground on. And how many know it's not everything? But some things will come across your pathway. Again, during the health care debate, I was so proud of the Catholic bishops. They're, they say there's over 600 Catholic hospitals in America. And they were being told early in the health care debate that they would have to perform abortions. And these bishops, and with all courage, basically said, we will close our hospital before we perform abortions. Now, listen, that took guts. What is it, 1,500 people that work at St. Michael's? They could be out of work just like that because of the edict of Nebuchadnezzar. But there are times to take a stand. And my question to you is, do you have courage to stand? And I don't mean just these things that are ethereal and far out there. How about, do you take a stand for, let's say, if you can go back to your, uh, your school days. Maybe there was a handicapped child, or maybe there was someone that just didn't fit in. They were poor. Uh, they just didn't fit in. They didn't have the nice gadgets and things, and people would laugh at them. Would you be someone that would join the laughter, or would you stand up for someone because it's right? 
So what I'm talking about today is not just something related to some election, not just some large issue. I'm talking about issues in everyday life. Do you stand for what's right, and do you stand for those who cannot stand for themselves? Let's look further in this passage. Verse 8, you see, there may be a price to pay for us. Some of the astrologers went to the king and tattletale. They informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 12, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, why did they do that? I'll tell you, friends, they had conviction based on the Bible. They knew the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments said you shall not worship an idol. But my friends, that is where you draw the line in the sand. And can I tell you this? You and I have the same calling to defend truth in America today. The New Testament calls us to stand for truth. Jude 3. Dear friends, I urge you to... Say it with me. It's not up yet, so how could you say it? To defend the faith. Can you say that? Defend the faith. Defend the faith. Now, I do not mean with guns and pistols and knives, but I mean that you have the courage to live it and that you have the courage to stand up if you're in a meeting at, in, at work and somebody has figured a way to, to uh, lie, cheat, and steal to save the company tens of thousands of dollars to file false forms or whatever and everybody's getting into the raise and you're the one that stands up and say, this is wrong. What we're doing is stealing. This is not our money. This is not just what happens out there somewhere. This is not just what the preacher does. This is what you do in your world, standing for what's right, because you have something called conviction. And conviction is missing in the hearts of many people. Conviction to stand, because our culture, my friend, is going in a terrible, terrible direction. I believe it is the central challenge of our day for the church. That the church, wherever she gathers, in an assembly, Baptist, Methodist, but those that hold to the conservative interpretation of the Scriptures, the inerrant Word of God, and those that believe Christ is the only means of salvation, I believe the central challenge for our day is for us to stand and speak into the issues of the day. Come on. When this alcohol initiative came up a few weeks ago, well, actually in, in, in December, someone talked to me about it, and I'll tell you, uh, without going into too great a detail, I had not really just thought too much about it. I have got plenty of stuff on my plate. I've got plenty to do. If people want to drink, la, 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 la. But someone began to talk to me about that, the impact of what it would happen if we brought $19 million, that's what they suggested in sales, of alcohol on the Texas side. And I began to look at statistics for domestic violence. Chief Harrison on the Arkansas side and said in one weekend, 34 of 38 domestic violence calls involved alcohol. Listen, I don't want to see any more people in our church come on coming in because somebody's beating them up when they were drunk. You know, kids uh, dropping out of school because statistically one in five will drop out of school if they begin to do alcohol or drugs in high school. I didn't want to see that, so I realized this was a bigger issue. This was a moral issue. If you want to drink, listen, go to a restaurant. Go across the state line and get it, but we don't need any more, and I decided to stand up. Listen, you have opportunity to be quiet when you're told to bow to that statue. And listen, nobody, all you have to do is just like that before the statue. But if you do something, dies inside. But when you stand up 
you have an opportunity to be written in the annals of Christian history as someone who had the courage to stand for their convictions. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, look at verse 13. I wish, though, everyone would clap when you stand, but they won't. If you tell the director of the pharmacy that you're not going to prescribe that drug, you may get fired. I'm telling you. You may lose something as a Christian. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. Now, mind you now, he's not one of many politicians that you can appeal in you know, lawsuits and all that. No, he is the monarch. He is a totalitarian. All he's got to do is look at you and do like that, and you're dead. He goes into a rage, and he gives him another chance. Verse 15, one more chance. Bow down and worship the statue. If you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. I need to be real honest with you. Sometimes when you take a stand, it'll have a price to pay with it. It just will. And I can't tell you what to stand for, but can I can tell you if the Holy Spirit is dealing with your conscience and something is clearly rooted in the Bible, it behooves you to stand even though there's a price to pay. I have this theory that's worked out as I've watched people over the last 30 years in ministry. Most Christians are fair-weather Christians. It simply means as long as things are going well, as long as there's no challenge, as long as there's no sacrifice, I'm with it. But the minute there's a price to pay for being a Christian, don't count on me. My friend, if you have lived in that camp, I want to pull you over to the right side today. I want to encourage you to be a person of conviction and courage. And even if you have to do without something or lose something in this world, I want to tell you the one to come will be worth it. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't live forever on this earth. If when they hit that ground in the fiery furnace, guess what? If their life was over, if they'd have been crispy critters, they'd have lived in heaven forever. But this world is not going to last. And if you have to deny your convictions to get something that's going to disappear or evaporate, be worth nothing, or give to somebody else, my friend, you need to think about it. Look what happened, though. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture, 16 through 18. They said, if you throw us in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now, they were very respectful with their words, but nonetheless, they simply believed God is able. It was the message last week. I choose faith. They believed that God was able. And I want to tell you this. If you suffer something, a loss for Christ, God is able to give it back to you. God is able to turn it around. God is able to put back in your hands what someone else would take away. Listen, if you lose your job, God can give you a better job. And you've got to approach your convictions with faith. But listen to what else they said, because they didn't stop there, verse 18. But they said, even if God doesn't deliver us, in other words, even if I lose everything, my convictions, we want to make clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship your gold statue. Now, I'm going to tell you, that takes guts. It takes courage based on conviction. It's easy to talk about in church when people are laughing and clapping, but it's difficult when you're in the world and your job is on the line and it'll follow you on your resume. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. This is not just some Old Testament idea. In the New Testament, believers were not appreciated most of the time. They were hated in much of culture. Hebrews 10, 32. Think back on the early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you may, remained what? faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule, beaten. Sometimes you helped others who suffered the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail 
And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with what? And now the Bible says there's a waiting for you a great reward. Listen, that could happen to you. It, could, it is happening in America. It could be amplified. Do you realize if you are a, a, a living in a Muslim nation and you convert to Christianity and you're baptized in water, your family has a, an obligation under their law to reconvert you or to take your life in an honor killing. This has come up several times in America where girls have fled their homes because they decided to become Christians and their fathers were going to kill them. You got pretty quiet on me today. In America. See, in America. But, but, but what are you willing to sacrifice for Christ? Now, no strings attached. No, no, no offering at the end of the service. I don't want anything from you. But I'm just asking you, if push came to shove and your convictions are on the line, what do you really believe? What would you pay in terms of cost to be a Christian? It's a question you might have to ask one day. Rosa Parks was willing to stand up and say, I'm not going to sit on the back of the bus anymore. Now, I reread her story just the other day. Not, not too many decades ago in America, whites sat in the front of some buses in the South, blacks sat in the back. There was a row that was there where they would put where the blacks could begin to sit down. The only problem was is if white people came in, there were more whites on the bus than blacks, they had to move back. The bus driver would pull over and he'd tell those blacks on the first row or two, you've got to move to the back of the bus. If we don't have room, you've got to get off the bus. And one day she stood up and she said, this is wrong. And she had the courage to stand. Now I want to ask you, my friends, today that's kind of a ludicrous thought. Uh, in, in my life, maybe when I was a small child, I can't remember it. But in my lifetime, I don't remember a black water fountain and a white water fountain. That era of America's tragic past happened because the church would not stand up. Slavery happened in America because pulpits, Methodist, Baptist pulpits in the South, listen, were more concerned about laborers on the plantation than they were the equality of human beings. I'm telling you, now listen. That kind of gets right where we live. But isn't it sad that the government had to be behind the civil rights movement to produce what the church should have produced and borne all along? And here's the deal. The government can never force me to love somebody. There's as much racial hatred in America today and prejudice as it ever has been. It's just controlled by rules and laws. But guess what? I am proud to be in a church that is filled with diversity. I am proud to be in a church where you are valuable, not because of the color of your skin, how much money you make, the car you drive, come on, where you went to school, but because we are a Christian. It's missing in America. The most segregated hour in America today is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning because people cluster with people like themselves. And I want to tell you, my friend, it's even a price for me to have that stand because I know friends that don't come to church because they don't want their kids going to church with you fill in the blank. I don't want to sit on the same row with them. A lot of people say it. A lot of people won't say it. My question, though, is do you have the courage to stand when something's wrong? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Nebuchadnezzar didn't like it. Well, let me ask you this question. Would you still give your tithe, your offering, if the church lost its tax exemption? It's possible on the horizon. If America in the next election decides to become more of a socialist nation, less religious, churches, you see, don't have to pay income tax. 
You're able to deduct your giving when it comes to this church off your taxes, and it's a means through the tax code of controlling people's behavior. What if the churches across America, by an executive order, said something like this? Either you have to do same-sex marriages, you have to sign this form that you'll perform same-sex marriages in your sanctuary, or you lose your tax exemption. Would you still give if you couldn't donate? See, preachers may have to make that decision. Boards may have to make that decision. And this is not a hate-filled statement. I just simply believe that the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman. Genesis 2.24. Now, if you make a choice to do something outside of that boundary, that's your choice. I will love you. I will accept you. But listen, the Bible teaches that it's a sin. And I'm not a hate monger for telling you it's a sin. Listen, I want to see you get to heaven I don't want to see you live the wrong way because actions have choices in life. I love you enough to tell you the truth. It's the world we live in today. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, furious. And he did the best he can to shut it down. He commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Verse 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Now, you've got to get a picture of this. They're tied up. The Bible says it was heated seven times hotter. The guards who threw them in there died because it was so hot. So here they go, on the floor, tied up. And they're expecting to scream, shout, but all of a sudden, the ropes burn off. And they put their hand on some burning coals, on some burning oak wood, and they stand up. And they look at the bottom of their feet, and they're not even burning. And they look at each other, and they got a big old smile on their face. I'm telling you, God has the ability to intervene. Nebuchadnezzar, listen, verse 27, not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like their courage opened a door for testimony so the God of all glory could be exalted. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than worship, serve or worship any god except their own god. And then the king did what? He promoted them. Hey, I missed that verse when Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men walking in the fire. There's not just three of them. There's four of them walking around in the fireplace. And the fourth one looks like one of the gods. Well, he wasn't just one of the gods. Come on, he could have been Jesus himself, very God. He might have sent an angel to do it. But I'm telling you, God is able, if you have the guts to stand, He's got the ability to make you, promote you. And that's exactly what happened to them. After they came out of the flames, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't have to have a Ph.D. to know that God, their God's bigger than my statue, and he promoted them right on the spot. Come on. God has the ability to do that in your life. When you stand for Him, God can turn it around. Now listen, I don't believe the Bible guarantees that every person facing the fiery furnace won't get burned. Stephen was stoned, and he died. But guess what? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Here's what the Bible does promise you. It promises you the presence of God, whatever you face in life. It promises you Jesus himself said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And people that walk through these things, they say that there's a supernatural grace that comes on their life to face adversity that you can't face on a daily basis on your own. But I'm telling you, friends, the same God of those three Hebrew boys is the same God you're serving today. I think he deserves an applause this morning. But my question to you, 
Do you have the courage to stand? Let me close with this. Psalm 82. Let me go in just a little different direction, but add to this. God expects us to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. Now listen to the passage. It's Psalm 82. You see it lived out particularly by Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus said, or, or the psalmist said, Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed. Uphold the rights of the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. The Message Bible says, defend the defenseless. Stand up for the powerless. Now listen to these words. Give justice. Uphold the rights. Rescue. Deliver. Defend. Stand up. And who are you standing for? The poor. The orphan. The oppressed. The destitute. The helpless. The defenseless and the powerless. So I want to ask you, my friend, who is going to stand up for that lady suffering domestic violence? Maybe God might speak to you and you don't want to just give them a referral. Maybe open your home. Who's going to stand up for the young girl that's 15 years of age and pregnant and scared and doesn't know what to do? She needs more than a referral. Who's going to stand up for the single mom that's even got a kid and she needs a place to stay and there's not enough money in the system to care for all these people? But they might come across your path. See, you can't do everything about all these problems, but there may be one person that comes across your path that you can stand up for. And you can say, Honey, won't you come in our house? And we'll take care of you. The little 15-year-old says, I don't know how I'm going to raise this baby. Maybe you can say, I'll buy diapers for you whenever you need diapers. I will make sure that you get medical care. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Who is going to stand for the elderly person that has lived many, many years and is all alone and nobody comes to visit them in the nursing home. I'm not talking about the, the, the nursing home where everything's perfect. I'm talking about the one where people are just stored until they die. That smells and you go by that place and you go in there and you hold their hand and they won't let go of you. You walk away and they won't let go because you're the only person that has physically touched them in several weeks. Who is going to stand for them? Who's going to stand for the Muslim Christian that found a Bible and began to follow Jesus? They've got no place to go. Who's going to stand for them? Who's going to stand for people? Who's going to stand for the man dying with AIDS when the stigma has pushed everyone away from him that loved and cared? Who is going to care enough to stand? I tell you, my friends, God applauds those who stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. And you can't do everything for every need in the world. Who, who's going to stand for those that are involved in human trafficking? Which means they're sex slaves in America. Tens of thousands of women are imprisoned. And little boys and teenagers are imprisoned by people. And they sell them for sex right here in America. Who is going to stand? There's ministries in America that help those folks. Who's going to stand? Could it be you? And that's the question of my message this morning. Number one, do you have the courage to stand for what's right? When it's right before you and it's in your face and the Spirit of God is nudging you, do you have the courage to stand? And secondly, do you have the courage to stand for those that cannot stand for themselves? It could be the defining mark of your life. It could be your fiery furnace. And you could be the successors of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My hope to you, my friend, is you'll stand. Ephesians 6 even tells us, having done all, 
Won't you bow your heads just a minute? And I wonder this morning what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. I guarantee it's across a wide gambit. What is he saying to you? And I simply want to encourage you to say yes. Maybe something has resonated in your heart. A helpless person, a defenseless person, a needy person. You might have even seen their face before you. You might have even seen where they live. And God has nudged you to help them. I wonder, friends, if you'll say yes. Not just in a church service. It's, But will you say it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Maybe you're here today and you're a little fearful about standing for some things. Would you just ask God right now to give you courage? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what's right when you're afraid. Lord, we just want to ask you right now to come and visit us. Would you just pray that with me? My prayer does no good unless it comes from your own heart. Just tell the Lord right now, Lord, I want courage to stand. I want to have some clarity in my mind to know what issues I need to stand for, what issues I would be willing to sacrifice and give up for. I want to know the difference, Lord. But I just offer myself to you that you might use me like you did, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That through my life, through, as Jesus said, the shining of my light in a dark world, some people may see and come to Christ. And this is our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Everybody said? Hey, I want to continue this. This is good this morning. I want to continue this next week. But I wonder, you know, it's 12 o'clock. Some of you singles are going to go get some pizza. Everybody else has got lunch plans, I bet. But I wonder if you might just give just a couple more minutes for God to do something in your heart. See, we've done a lot together this morning. We had communion. We had worship. Our worship team did great this morning in worship, didn't they? Yeah, this is great this morning. Those on stage, those in the back. It was great this morning. We looked in the Bible together. We saw truth. There's one thing we hadn't done is we hadn't taken time to pray. And I wonder if you're here today and you say this morning, I, I, I need some prayer in my life. There's some things in my personal world that I need God to help me with. It could be anything. It may be something related to this message. It may be something you heard. Maybe you've got a lot of fear when it comes to maybe losing something. I don't know what it is. Maybe, I don't know what it may be. But say anything related to the message, and you simply want to just come and pray with somebody of faith. But it doesn't have to be the message. You could have something going on in your life, your family. It could be your kids, somebody you love and care about. You just got a burden, and you want to join and invoke the power that comes when two people pray. It may be, surely there's people that are here this morning and say, Pastor, my biggest need is I need to get right with God today. You may not know if you go to heaven or hell when you died. But you want to get right with God. You, you know that you need God's forgiveness. Communion reminded you of that. Communion reminded you, if you're not happy with the way you're living, you need to make a commitment to Christ. It could be a first time, or you can need to come back to Christ. I can't think of a better time to do it than right now, because the world is about to engulf you again. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to stand in just a second. We're going to begin to sing and worship. And our prayer team is coming to the altar, and they will be happy to pray with you as long as you need it this morning. Let God touch you in this wonderful place of prayer. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? And our prayer team is coming to the front. We're going to sing this song through a time or two. As our prayer team comes right now, I just want to invite you that need prayer. Just follow them right on down here. Let us pray with you. Let us talk to you. Let us help you. Let us seal what God has been doing in your heart today. Come for the place of prayer and you can meet with God. This is my prayer. This is my plea.